This episode is brought to you by the 10th Annual Whistleblower Summit and Film Festival. The Whistleblower Summit and Film Festival brings together filmmakers from all around the globe to share the impactful and harrowing corruption cases that span industries and governments alike. Led by whistleblower, documentarian, author, and Make It Podcast guest Michael McRae, the Whistleblower Summit and Film Festival screens the work of these brave filmmakers and helps them navigate the often lonely and dangerous world of the whistleblower. And this year will be no different. With more films, forums, breakouts, and panels than ever, this year's summit is poised to be the best of them all. Beginning July 22nd and running through July 31st, registration and tickets to this year's festival can be purchased at www.whistleblowersummit.com. And registration is entirely free. I'll say that again. Registration is completely free. With all the screenings and panels being virtual, the barriers to getting involved are all but removed. So go to www.whistleblowersummit.com to register for free and you won't regret it. Again, go to www.whistleblowersummit.com and join us at the Make It Podcast and Bonsai Creative in attending what is rapidly becoming the most important festival in the United States for the cause of liberty. That's www.whistleblowersummit.com to register free today. This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it is completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails, just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights for free. Listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. I'm Julia L. Rosa Green. Um, I'm a producer, a filmmaker, and a kind of writer. 
I would say writer because I create my stories for films. Um, I was a model before, um, long 1990s. Uh, very proud of myself having a model in the 90s. <laughs> um, and now I'm taking over my life as a filmmaker, philanthropist, and creative. Um, I create films, uh, short films. First one was Before Sunrise. I won 23 awards on festivals around the world which I play five characters. <laughs> um, now my other second film is going very well. I'm doing um, an amazing, amazing um, connection with everyone about the film because it's an environmental film. And uh, it's also a short film called Leaves, which I have right behind me. <laughs> so yes, that's it. I am very happy to be here and love to talk about it, everything. Julia Rosengren, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And for those who don't know, you're coming to us from just outside Paris, France. And this is quite a treat. You have lived a hundred lives in one lifetime. And <laughs> it's been so much fun living in the world of Julia Rosengren over the last two weeks researching and preparing for this conversation. Normally at this time, and this audience knows this, normally at this time, I would go into a bio and give the audience a deeper sense of who you are and what you've done. But in this case, your bio is so long and you've done so many wonderful things with your life. I don't think it would be a wonderful use of the audience's time. So in this case, I think we should just get into your life uh, and get it straight from the horse's mouth, if, if you will, and, and get dig right into it. So I want to start with your very, very humble beginnings. I know you grew up in northern Brazil, and uh, there were times where you didn't have electricity. There were times you didn't have running water. You had siblings. You know, it, was, it, was a, it was a rough start. So what was it like growing up in Brazil? What are some different things outside of sort of that struggle that you miss or remember about growing up in Brazil? Well, um, it's like when we, when today I talk about it, that I was born in that type of life. Um, I'm so proud of it because my father always gave us everything we needed, which is love. So growing up the way I grew up, I carried water in my head. I had to start working very, very young age um, to support a family, to help with everything I could in my house. Um, I didn't go to school until uh, probably I was 10 years old. Um, didn't have shoes, oh, but wow. my father, he worked. Yeah, he worked really. Um, my father, I call him my hero because he was the person that really gave everything he had to give us an education. Um, today, I say all the time that I speak seven languages because of my father, you know, and um, ended up he never learned how to read and write. But he gave us, yeah, he gave us all that. My mom always been the, the best mom in the world. All my family always been supportive. We all together, we had a lot in our, our home. We didn't have a lot in our home, but we had a lot because the love we had for each other until today. Um, so How did your father help you learn those languages? I know that you learned seven or eight. Me. Yeah, he believed in me. He gave me freedom. Um, as a, as a very young child, actually, he always believed that everything I wanted to do, I would do and I'll do well. 
you know, even I did wrong. He always told me you did great. So, you know, from that point of view of my father to me, uh, I I had that in my head that I would have to do something one day for him to be proud of me, you know? Um, So this is um, the the thing I say that I learned several languages because of my father is because when I was uh, about 16, 17 years old, he gave me freedom to go out, you know, do modeling and be on my own. So if we, if he had not believed in me and give me all this freedom, I'd probably not, you know, had never had so much of, you know, learning around the world, especially not only language, but traveling, everything else, no matter where I was, whatever I was doing, I'll call him, I'll tell him, he always, I believe you, keep doing, keep doing, if you need us, if you want to come back home, come back home. So, yeah, so I love I, that. yeah. I love and that. same as my mom. My mom was the same, you know, same. I want to dig into that a little bit too. Um, I don't know what the, um, what the government was like in Brazil when you were growing up. Um, but it seems like, it, you know, it, your, your dad had, you know, a very strong sense of, you know, individual sovereignty and liberty and, and, and the, the tenets of freedom. He did. He did. And my dad was not really into poli- politicians or anything. What he had was um, my kids are going to learn something live. They are going to do something. I believe and I trust them. So the first thing I think my dad planted in me was the trust. He trusts me for doing anything. As a very young child, he gave me my first gift which was a, a, a little kit of doing manicure. And mm-hmm. I was, what, seven, eight years old. I was already doing manicure for every single person in my little town, <laughs> which I didn't even know how I was doing. But, you know, I was making money. I was happy. And I was like, you know what? I can do anything in life. I can do this. I can do that. And then my head was like, you know. And so he's, he's, he's really teaching me, I mean, the most beautiful thing in life to love and also to, to, to trust uh, yourself, everything you dream of and never give up, you know? So you mentioned that you wanted to make your dad proud. You wanted to go out and do all these things because you thought it was the only way you could make your dad proud. Are you still in a way trying to achieve a ton of things to make your dad proud? I think I'm never going to stop uh, trying to make my dad. My dad passed away already. He's mm-hmm. not here with me. Uh, but he's. Um, I'm always going to do something to make sure him, my mom, and, and my brothers and sisters, they are proud of me. And I am proud of myself because mm-hmm. um, I think, uh, you know, once you have, like I keep mentioning, once you have love in your family, you know, there's nothing else can put you down because that's what keeps you together. And if you have that support, you also can go up and do many things and make everyone proud, you know? So yeah. I always believe in myself because I wanted to make myself proud in the first place, but also make them proud of me. Yeah. I completely relate to that. I, my mom passed in 2007 and um, mm. I'm not a very, um, you know, I don't believe in ghosts or anything, but it is, it does make me smile internally to think that she is somewhere watching everything that I do good and bad. And I think that I just, I have this weird belief system that, uh, it's not really a belief system, but this idea that, that, um, people that loved us and that we loved that are passed away, 
They smile at everything we do, not just they the good thing because we're actually alive. I believe they guide us sometimes. I do have that belief that they do guide us because I have some, you know, like deja vu flash that I see and I'm like, oh my God, my dad told me that once. Oh my God, my dad used to do that. You know, it's like yeah. angels in your life and, you know, they appear in some many different ways. So I know you said that your dad gave you the freedom to leave at 15 or 16 to, to, to go do what you wanted to do. But I'm, I'm curious how you built up the courage to leave <laughs> Brazil and go to the United States. I mean, go to a completely different country. Yeah. At that age. Well, um, it's, it's like at 17, I went to Sao Paulo, which is a huge, it's a, uh, you know, huge, huge city. 17, 18, I was already yeah. on the road to Sao Paulo yeah. um, because I had, I started doing modeling very early. So my work was not a lot of work, but it was already something I was doing my own. Of course, by that time, I never told anyone I was 18. I, you know, I just, <laughs> I just <laughs> kept going. Nobody ever asked me. So, right. uh, I had, of course, I had friends and family that in Sao Paulo that helped me stay. Um, so I just, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. Um, but um, after that, coming to the United States was more like, uh, I never really thought I'm going to be a model. I'm going to be this. And, you know, I'm so beautiful because I never thought that. I was like, no, marmalade for me? No. And how much I'm going to win? <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they're like, oh, you're going to make money this, this. Oh, you know what? You should go to Miami because in Miami you make money in dollar. I'm like, oh, okay, it's more than right. my money. I'll go. <laughs> you know? So I was like really determined just to go and make a good life so I could give them a good life. And that's happened, you know, it was not easy, but you know, uh, that's one thing I'm very proud. I went through all of that yep. <laughs> basically by myself, you know, so very, I don't know how many people could do that and land on their feet without sort of calling back home and saying, mom, dad, come rescue me. So <laughs> I think you should be proud of that. Um, do you know at what age you, you decided or had the inkling, the idea that you would want to live a creative life? You know, I've always been the one at my house, the creators. I want to, I see something. I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can make that. I will make lots of those, you know, da, 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 <laughs> and creating. So when I was in Miami, I was, uh, when I stayed there after 20, 21, 22, after two, three years in Miami, I, um, uh, I was like, I'm tired of being here, especially because, um, my English is not very good and I need to learn other things before, you know, so I wanted to know why English is so difficult for me. So maybe I should go to a different country. So I thought the agency that I was working with, um, I said, could you send me to a, you know, a country that I never been and that I can work there. And so they said, well, you can go to Tokyo. Tokyo can do a lot of catalogs. You make money there. I'm like, okay, I'll go there. So I went to Tokyo and stayed in Japan for, I think, in and out for like two years in Japan. So every, and then I was like, okay, so English was difficult for me, but Japanese cannot be difficult. So I did every country I went, I tried to learn the language, you know, so I was putting myself in a school in Tokyo to learn Japanese. 
um, because it was difficult. I couldn't, you know, when you go to a McDonald's in Japan and you order number seven, she brings seven uh, cheeseburger for you. It's like, <laughs> I, I have to learn, I think I do have to learn Japanese. So, you know, there was many, many great things happen. Um, so then Tokyo, I basically became from a teenager to a woman in Tokyo because then I was discovering everything, you know. Yeah. And then I moved back to the United States. Then I started going back everywhere and came to France and that's it. Then Italy and England and that's it. What language would you say of the seven or eight that you know, which language would you say is the easiest to learn and which is the hardest? Ooh, I think English for me was the hardest because as a Latin person speaking Latin language, like Portuguese, Italian, French, you know, for me, it's, it's easy. Mm -hmm. uh, Japanese was not difficult at all. I mean, seems difficult and looks difficult, but it's not, uh, for me, it wasn't. Then I, I started also, uh, actually, uh, developing my brain that I was like, Oh my God, I can learn this. I can't believe I, this morning I was reading this and now I remember everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so English for me, I think was the most difficult. Also Russian because Russian, I stayed in UCF, um, mm -hmm. learning the basic, but I do have a hard time remembering things in Russian. You know? Yeah. And just for and the audience, Ukraine, UCF Ukraine. is yeah. University of Central Florida. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the other, other languages became very easy for me. Very easy, you know, especially Latin language. So. Yeah. So those are the easiest ones. English. English is hard for a lot of different reasons. We were just talking about this the other day. The fact that like, you know, if you're in the military and you reach the rank of colonel, there's no R in the word colonel. And you say no. it with your mouth. <laughs> it's true. There is an R when you say it, colonel. And you can hear it. But it's just, it's not in the word. There's no R in there. It's a trick question. And English does that in a lot of different ways. And then we have a lot of sort of um, double meanings and triple meanings, right? Like this word... Yes, it literally means this, but one word means a lot of things. Right. Yeah. It means something else if you're talking to a person. They can misunderstand you and take you for something else. So I, I can see why that would be different uh and difficult. Um you did you had great success in the nineties modeling. Uh of course you're absolutely beautiful. That's no uh oh. mystery or or surprise that you were able to do that. But I am curious what were the biggest myths or misunderstandings around the culture of modeling that you could share with us? Um, I was always thinking I was too skinny. You know, I was very skinny doing modeling. I had no much of a um, sense of, okay, why do they think my face is so amazing for modeling? You know, why? <laughs> Why, oh, you look, you exotic, you, you're young, but you have the woman's face already, you know, it's like, and I was like, okay, so I, I never really understood uh, what I saw of myself in a mirror and thought I look like for what they told me I look like, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like the modeling thing really, uh, it teached me a lot, a lot, especially knowing myself, getting to know myself. You know, and I was like the model. I never really wanted to go out. Never really 
want to drink anything, never smoked. I never done, you know, my first alcohol drink, I was 25. <laughs> <laughs> how did you, how did you drink at 25? Like what, what was the situation where you decided you were going to drink? And I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. That's amazing because you do hear a lot about sort of the culture of modeling being one where there is a lot of um, expectations around your weight management and how much you eat. And there is a lot of expectations around your use of alcohol and drugs. Um, There is an expectation uh, around how much you're supposed to go out at night and things like that. How were you able to avoid all that? Well, yeah, because I think the education I had at home, you know, that my dad said, don't ever come home with a smoking. Don't never come home smelling like cigarette. Don't drink. This is not good for you. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't think so. It became like a music in my head, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I saw, I had the opportunity of everything, but in first place, I always thought if something happened to me, who am I going to call to help me here? You know, my mom and my dad and everybody's really far from me right now. So I should not get myself into this. So I've always, probably, you know, before my age, but, but at 25 years, okay, I'm having a glass of champagne finally. And I slept. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, that's, I I think that's actually, (laughs) that's actually brilliant. It's a really smart thought process. It's like, if I get myself into any trouble, I have no safety net. So, you know, I can't do the things that everybody else does. I can't call mommy and daddy to come get me from down the street. You know, like, like I can't afford to, I can't afford to get myself into a ton of trouble. trouble. I I always thought the same. I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really smart. I I like that. Um, You are also a, a founding member of a Brazilian team of activists and artists that have formed, I'm going to butcher this. I don't know how to say it. Is it, is it Una, Una Io? Unio Gaia. Gaia. Say it one more time. Unio Gaia. <laughs> Unio Gaia. Thank you. <laughs> I knew I was going to. T- well, Gaia just, is the planet, that. you know, Unia, yeah. Unia Gaia. So. Unia Gaia. Yeah. yeah. So it, it concentrates on the use. Yeah, you're right. It, so it, it concentrates on issues affecting the planet. Uh, I was yeah. wondering uh, if you could talk a little bit about this organization and how it address or, or addresses issues about uh, the, the planet. So Union Gaia is been created. Um, it started from before sunrise because uh, the beginning of the pandemic, and uh, I created to have access to writers and producers and uh, directors in Brazil, which they are also activists and people who defend the nature, uh, the Amazon, the forest, and. So um, I included the Union Gaia on my production, my welfare productions, because I would like to do a lot of projects outside the United States. Um, so it is a, a, good, uh, a good way of trying to show that our planet is dying, our planet needs help. And that is so much people can do right now, you know, and nobody actually is doing so much, not doing much, which which we, we can, a lot of people can do something, you know, you see all what's what's going on in the world, the lots of, you know, uh, uh, deforestation and, uh, it's like, uh, storms and, uh, uh, hurricanes and, you know, all this, it's like, 
really, really destroy a planet. And not only that, the man is destroying a planet, you know. So it's kind of confusing for everyone who wants to understand. So I try like to do this working with the environment and, and show my, you know, my concerns um, because um, this is what it touches me. I see, if I see, uh, if I, I, I'm a defender of uh, animals, you know, child, uh, I, I help as much as I can. But if I see a tree being cut for no reason, it breaks my heart, you know. Mm. So uh, trees are my love. I love trees. I've been, I've been I grew up, <laughs> there's a funny story I can tell you after. Uh, trees always been, for me, the most important thing in the world. Because it's anything that happens, a tree is always going to be there, you know. So I grew up, I was very young. My grandfather put me on top of a tree <laughs> to watch who was stealing his oranges, you know. And I had that job. Yeah, I was, I was very lucky because I had that job. So um, I was, my whole time, I was just on top of a tree and I got, to get to know the tree, you know, we had to get to have a conversation because <laughs> I was for so long on top of the tree. And uh, after a while, I was asking him, can you put me there again? I want to stay there, you know. Mm. So I, yeah, so I start really falling in love with trees and I don't even know how many trees around the world I hug because it's everywhere I went, you know. <laughs> did you find um, out who so was stealing the oranges? I did. It was my cousins. <laughs> <laughs> And then I had, I was in between two things because they were telling me, if you tell grandpa, we're not going to do this with you. And I was like, you know, so. You were, <laughs> you, were the, you were the hall monitor. You had to decide whether to tell the teacher like, or have friends. Out. Yes. I'm like, I'm not getting out of this tree because they're going to kick my butt. And, you know? <laughs> and my grandfather too, because I cannot tell him who I was doing it's it's kind of fun story, but it's true. And I think because of that, my grandfather teached me. He always told me, he said, if you fall down from a tree, go up and stay there because that tree is never going to go and pick you up. You have mm. to be stronger like the tree. Go up and sit there and wait, you know. Oh, what, so a, I, what a beautiful uh, image. That's um, <laughs> no, that's really that's really fantastic advice. And it's it's interesting that you bring up trees in the Amazon because I think that for the most part, people, at least in the United States, when they think about environment and they think about Brazil, they immediately think about trees. They think about, yeah, yeah, they think about the deforestation of trees. I know there's a a big initiative to plant a tree um, and not just plant a tree as you cut a tree, but like plant a million trees or plant a hundred million trees. And I don't know how successful they've been. Uh, I haven't tracked the actual execution of it. I know that they collected money to do that. And I know I gave some of that money to do that, but I don't know if they actually planted the trees. I gave money. It was supposed to be like a dollar. Every dollar you spent was a, was a tree, I think. So, um, I'm curious if you're going to use beyond your movie leaves, are you going to make a specific movie or film about the Amazon and the deforestation that's happening in Brazil. I, you know, Brazil has a lot of uh, wrong politics, you know, and I, uh, I don't go into that, but um, Amazon is actually, uh, I feel like when I think about Amazon, I feel like a little child who's screaming for help and nobody 
helps, you know, because right. uh, um, the president only tries to make the worst of what's happened there. The Indians, the, the only tribal there, it was protected by the Amazon and have their life and their thing, their little home. Uh, they invaded, you know, they want to make them as a part of the tourism of Amazon, which is, you know, it's almost crazy. like putting people in a zoo. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. And for what, you know, for, I mean, for what we know, the whole world knows Amazon is not just Brazil. Amazon is, it's part of the world because it's one of the biggest forests in the world. It is the biggest. And we're going to need, we're going to go out of water sometime in this life. And Amazon will be the, you know, the only place that we could actually go and, and have water from. But unfortunately, I think it's not going to happen because the way they destroy Um, I would love to do something in Amazon. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to go into there and do exactly what I am thinking, you know, because leaves is just a little, it's just a little uh, reflection of what I wanted to do later, bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to continue doing leaves to in Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. to, to show a little bit more of, unfortunately this time I couldn't do anything in Amazon. Uh, it does touch the, the, you know, the, the forest, the, the, the crime, I call this is a crime. When you cut a tree for nothing just to destroy and build the building, it's a crime, a huge crime. Um, you, you can cut a tree and do something for, you know, for sustainable, for living, for, but not doing what they're doing. I mean, it's, right. you know, it's bad. So, yeah, I, I do want to do something in the future, uh, a better, you know, better uh, to to away to, to i'm sorry to to show a little bit more of awareness of what's going on there how did you and paul davis come up with the concept for your short film leaves so <laughs> it's a, it's a little funny because uh as a, the start of tree of my grandfather it's you know stuck in my head for a long time and i thought uh, after before sunrise um when i did before sunrise i i thought okay so i did the short film and you know the first short film uh which was uh, uh, uh recorded and and directed remotely from brazil you know with five characters that i played I guess I can do something else. And now I actually can come up with what I always wanted to do, do something about the nature. Mm-hmm. So uh, three in the morning, I wake up and I was just reading things and putting it aside in my bed. And, you know, so I told him, I called him because I knew him already from Cult Cartel. He's the director of Cult Cartel uh, from Movies Making a Difference. So I called him and I said, hey, I have an idea, you know, uh, about this, about a girl in a tree. Would you write for me the script? You know, he said, yeah, sure. Send to me what you've been with. And so when I send it, he goes, okay, now we're talking something serious. <laughs> um, so he put together the script. We, we changed the ideas and everything. And then Liz was, you know, girl. And then we were solely, we were like, had the script. Uh, like next month we in Texas, in East Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, filming, you know, and that's it. I was like, now I have a movie. What should I do now? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, everything was like this. And he goes, I think you can do a lot, a lot of noise with this little short film, you know, but now I am like doing and doing and doing. And 
I got, I just got three awards from uh, the Las Vegas uh, Film Festival today. Like I go, I put in a lot of festivals. So, you know, festivals around the world, they give you, uh, you know, little award tea award there. So I'm very happy for it because it started really picking up very well. And also it's like almost 400,000 views on YouTube, less than two months. Yeah, I, I I did notice that, and I also noticed that uh, before sunset, your your or sunrise, right. sorry, uh, your feature or not features, geez, short. If I could talk, your short film that you did before leaves, mm-hmm. I think it has two hundred and sixty five thousand views on YouTube yeah. as well. So yeah. it's, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, that's not a a little thing to do. It's so hard to just get one person to watch anything you do on on YouTube. So I have to give you props for that. Congratulations. And, and also props to, Oh, you're welcome to, to Paul, because I think that leaves was shot beautifully. It is the clarity, the drone shots. He got some of the nature shots he got, um, were really wonderful. His cinematography was, was, was great. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, to seeing more of his stuff and more of what you guys uh, do together. I'm curious, um, you've been all around the world and seen a lot of creative people work. Which creatives do you most admire and want to be like, and what do they do from a skill standpoint or technical standpoint that makes their work stand apart for you? Oh, um, I admire for me, a director and a writer, a creator about movies and music and anything for me, it's like just unbelievable, amazing. Like I, I tell Paul sometimes, I say, I can't believe you wrote the script in three days. <laughs> How did you get all this together? You know, um, but it's because I think their mind is already, you know, so creative and so focused that it comes up something amazing. Um, I love, um, there's a uh, lot of filmmakers. I love, um, first one person I admire a lot. He's not a, a director or a filmmaker. He's an actor, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. I admire his work. I admire his, you know, his, um, uh, way of seeing the world. Um, uh, there's, uh, there's many, there's a uh, Martin Scorsese. I, I love him completely different, but I love him. Uh, there's a, there's a director and a writer in Brazil called Celto Mello. Mm-hmm. He's a huge, um, writer, director, and an actor. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And there's many, many around the world, uh, which, you know, I could say, I could stay here talking to you forever about them because, <laughs> you know, a lot of directors, a lot of movies that came out, um, they all have one different story, but each story is just you stop and thinking, oh my God, how the, how did he put that together? You know? Yeah. So I, I actually don't, I, I don't have anyone I want to be like, but I have, inspiration uh people that really inspired me and in doing other things you yeah. know and movies and and just creating and so i watch movies i see oscar movies uh oscars movies um all of the, the like Cannes film festival right now i'm going on friday um 
my movie is just going to be a little promotion there on the side somewhere. It's not going to be any nominated or nothing. One day it's going to happen, not now. <laughs> yeah. But um, so it's for me, it's, you know, it's like, I want to just learn from them. I want to use the experiences and do something as well. Yeah. And Leo DiCaprio arguably is arguably the, the best actor of, of my generation. And he also is a, uh, you know, has a massive heart for, uh, the environment, the planet, philanthropy as well. So, um, it's funny, you know, when you see somebody that just has it, you know, it right away and you can't describe it. And that's my memory of seeing, um, Leo DiCaprio for the first time in basketball diaries. I just said like, who's that guy? Like he's going to be crazy good for a long time. And you just know it. You don't even have to question it. Um, Julia, what are uh, your greatest strengths and and weaknesses? Um, I don't know. I think uh, weakness, uh, uh, I would say, I would say um, my weakness really, I don't know if I have many, but I do, I do get uh, touched a lot when someone tells me too many compliments. <laughs> I feel like, okay, I don't know how to act. So I think, you know, like somebody say, Oh my God, I love you. You know, you're so beautiful, blah, 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 which is, you know, just like even friends of mine, Oh my God, you didn't change your ears and boy, and it goes on and on. And I'm like, okay, is it going to stop? I don't know how to act, you know? So I think this is kind of, Weakness. I really don't know how to react on that, yeah. you know? So what do you think is your greatest strength? I'm a fighter. <laughs> I'm a fighter. I'm not going to give up on anything I do until I see results. Oh, I and I may, I'm actually not afraid of many things in my life. Um, no. I used to be afraid of the dark. Then I actually faced it. And now we have great friends. So, <laughs> so wow, I love that's, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of deep too. You know, like it, that, yeah, that actually has no. some metaphorical qualities as well. Uh, exactly. facing the dark and being friends with it. That's, that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty good stuff. Uh, what are the, what are the two best pieces of advice you've received in your career so far? And, and who did they come from? Um, I think, um, you know, for my career, my dad didn't see much of my career because he passed, but he always used to tell me that um, no matter what I do, it's because it's in my heart. And if I did right and someone think it's wrong, it's always going to be right for me. So that's what matters, you know, mm-hmm. that every day, if you look yourself in the mirror and if you smile, you, you accomplish something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um I don't know. I had many people giving me so much. My ex-husband, uh, he was a huge support of everything I've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always told me, he called me sparklers, sparklers, <laughs> be happy and don't worry because you're going to do right. Mm-hmm. Just put that on your heart. So, you know, that's great. And of course the bless of God. So <laughs> it's yeah. the biggest. Problem. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Right. And, and it, again, no, that advice is a lot about courage. It's about, and, and I think that's been the theme of this conversation is that 
from the beginning of your life to this moment, you've always been courageous, whether it's sitting in the orange tree, uh, going to work (laughs) at age seven, leaving Brazil at, you know, 15, 16 years old to go pursue a career outside of your country and away from your family, uh, to making films and being a philanthropist and calling out child labor and sexual abuse and all these things, you have found a way to be courageous in, in everything you approach. And I think it's remarkable. Um, speaking of people that want to sort of emulate you or, or be inspired by your path, what is the role of the artist today in making change in this world? In your opinion? Uh, I always have, I have a, um, a saying that, um, I learned from, um, I actually don't remember exactly his last name, uh, Hubert, uh, he's from Canada. And I've always learned what he said for me, always been what I, I go with. Um, today in the world that we live, uh, we should protect family, the nature, and ourselves, of co- ourselves first, of course. But um, he said that a man loves uh, an invisible God, you know, never saw, but loves and admire and destroy the visible God, which don't know, the men don't even know that, that that God visible that they destroy is the invisible God that they love, which is the nature, you know. So I've always lived by love something, don't destroy because you never know what it is and what is, you know, what is going to take you to. So for me, for me, nature, for me, it's, part of me, part of my life. And I'm always going to defend animals, you know, child. This is the three things that I've always going to go and fight for. So there's a similar quote that you're, that quote makes me think about, which is that we look to the sky and we see God and God looks at man and sees God. And so what that really means to me is, is that, and what I think it's trying to express is that we have the power bestowed upon us by some greater power, whatever it may be to protect the planet, to protect each other, to make great art, to make beautiful things in the world, to be kind to one one another, to support one another in a really uh, powerful and almost godlike way. And if you, and if you knew how much power you had to affect change, you would do it, but you, but you don't realize that God looks at you and sees himself or herself for those that think God is a woman. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I I think that's, that's beautifully put. Um, I grew up modestly, uh, not poor, but just modestly. And, um, just like you started off rough in education, found my way in college. Somehow I got into college. I, I did not qualify for college. I had to, I, I didn't, I didn't have good enough grades. I, um, I charmed the heck out of the, uh, president of, of MTSU, the college wow. I went to, his name is Dr. Sidney McPhee and Dr. McPhee said, okay, right now he just brought me a pen and a piece of paper, a bunch of paper actually, and said, write me a essay about why you want to be and need to be in college. On the spot. 
So I had to write it. And I wrote a four page letter uh, to quote Aaliyah. I wrote a four page letter uh, saying why I should be in college. And it was good enough to get me into school. Wow. And it, and it was remarkable. It was a remarkable moment for me because it, my life would be completely different had I not. A lot of kids would have said, no, I'm not going to write this and just would have left. I sat there for an extra two or three hours to write this essay. And I got into college because of that. And I did really well in college. I did. I did much better in college, I should say, than I did in high school. Mm-hmm. And that put me on a trajectory to do better than I than I was doing as a as a child. Right. And you also didn't go to school till you were 10, grew up um, I around. Never, never yeah. done university or anything like that. So. Right, <laughs> right. And then, and, and you've, you've, you've become uh, a woman of, of prosperity and, and you can help people. Can you tell us what the world gets wrong about money? Uh, it seems to be demonized today, but. I don't know if it should be. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Can, get, it coming from the perspective of someone who grew up without anything. What do we yeah. get wrong about well, money? First of all, I want to congratulate you for your college because that's the courage to do. So Thank that you. you um, I don't think I've ever um, admitted that actually out loud either. So <laughs> here we go. Um, well, I think like, um, yeah, I grew up counting pennies, like, child we didn't have much and we always waiting for my dad to have that little to divide between us um so for me money always been i have all the respect in the world for money because money can take you far and can make a lot of things better you just have to know how to use and respect Mm. no matter how much money you have if you have millions and you know how to use that millions is going to be trillions because you are helping lots of people. So when you're born, you have no money. When you die, you can't take with you, you know? So what's going on, I think, in my way of seeing, I, I grew up without money. Um, I, I, I'm very lucky, been, been working hard and doing a lot of things to have a stable life and everything. Today, I can say I'm very happy the way I am right now in my life. Um, but I don't want to think that money is the, you know, something they're going to say, okay, you do this, you do that, you do that. No, I'm the one that's using the money that I have that I can actually show in a different way, you know? So whatever I can do in the world to spend a dollar to help or a thousand to help, I would do, you know? Because you look what's happening. I mean, this crazy uh, uh, war. People are just doing a war because they want money, power, you know. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen next? Nothing. Lots of people lost their lives. Nobody had anything. They lost what they had. And these people who has a lot of money, they can help them. Because what are they going to do with all this money when they go, you know? So I, I, I have a lot of respect for money. I do. And I'm not ashamed to say I love money because it can help me help others. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's spot on. And, uh, I've always been told you can't take your marbles with you. 
when you die. So (laughs) you you might as well find something you love. And here's the reality is that I think every person wants to live a purpose-driven life. But the problem is they don't know yet, or some folks don't know yet what their purpose is. And the second problem is, will they accept the purpose that they find they have? Meaning today, if your purpose isn't big enough, you're not proud of it. It's like, oh, this purpose doesn't make me famous. It's not having maybe the biggest impact that it should have. Uh, It's not making me enough money. But sometimes your purpose is just to maybe, um, you know, educate some kids and make a difference in those kids' lives. And no one's ever going to know your name, maybe. And you're not going to make a ton of money doing it. But it was your purpose and you helped someone on this planet while you were here. Um, And I think if we can get over those two things, one, or figure out those two things, one, what is my purpose? And then two, can I accept that purpose as being worthy of my time and energy? The world's going to be a better place. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I wish a lot of people who is very wealthy and have these billions going around and every day is on the news and, you know, went up space, not nothing against anyone who does that. If they like great, amazing, but I mean, then you turn yourself around and you see kids on the streets, you see family being destroyed uh, for being hungry, dying because they're hungry. I mean, there's, it's a lot of unbalance, you know, and these people don't even ever probably imagine and have like $10 in their hands to buy bread and milk, you know? Yeah. I, I, I just think that, um, money can be very good, can help a lot of people if you know how to use it. Like you said, if you have a purpose uh, to do something, you know, if you know, what you're doing here, then I guess you can go far and help others going far as well. Uh, I think that's spot on. And what else is spot on is this conversation. I've had such a great time talking to you and I'm super inspired. Uh, I'm going to leave here with a smile on my face and, and with some inspiration in my pocket. Thanks to you. Um, Thank you. So you, you also an inspiration person. I can see, you know, and I mean, for all the things you told me a little bit during this interview, it's just amazing. Amazing. You, you just have, I can see your energy. I can see from here. <laughs> you have this beautiful energy, beautiful aura on you. It's really amazing. Thank, thank you, you so much. For, yeah. Thank you for this interview. Anytime. It means the world to me coming from you, uh, for you to say that. So thank you so much. And I was wondering if you could tell everybody where they can find you on the internet and on social media, or maybe even see some of your work. Yeah, they can go to my website, uh, Julia Rosengreen, R-O-S-E-N-G-R-E-N.com. And everything is there on my website. Or they can go to YouTube and watch uh, Leaves, a short film. Same as Before Sunrise, Before Sunrise, a short film. Because there's other names uh, with other movies, so I just define doing short films. Fantastic. Are you anywhere on social? Can, can we find you on Instagram yes. or anywhere? Yeah. On Instagram, you can find Julia Rose and Green. Um, Facebook, you can find as well, same Julia Rose and Green. 
I actually think on Instagram it's Julia L. Rosengrand. So Julia L. So, Rosengrand. Yeah. 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 Perfect. 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 I think everybody should go out and do that right away. You will not regret it. And Julia, um, I'd love to end on this. Uh, you recently lost your, your longtime husband, uh, Jim. And, uh, what do you want the, the world to know about him? Uh, he was, he was huge in philanthropy as well and was a big yeah. part of the endowment program at the university of central Florida. But beyond that, what is it you want the world to know about, about Jim? Um, that is, um, my husband was just not my husband was my best friend my, my partner, my everything. Um, he was a person that inspired me to do so many things. Um, if I would start talking that he's just the most amazing, generous, generous person, um, uh, kind, uh, very, 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 very kind to, to anyone, no matter who was. Uh, he's one of the most amazing person after my dad, James, for me, it's my favorite person in the world. Um, and his legacy is going to move on with me in everywhere I go. Uh, he's huge uh, in philanthropy. Like, you know, he told me to continue what he was doing. So with him, I did learn a lot about it. He educated me a lot about this. Uh, the philanthropy world. Um, so I, I just, I just have so much to talk about him. That is so amazing. But just to tell you, the fine one word he was for me, a uh, uh, extraordinary man. I think that's a beautiful place for us to stop, Julia. Two words. <laughs> yeah. Two words. It is, but it's it's powerful, and uh, I think it it sums it up well. You uh, are also extraordinary. I want you to just keep doing your thing out there, inspiring everyone you come across. I know we're going to stay in touch and, and talk soon. Yes. Uh, I just can't thank you enough uh, for the conversation. Thank you. I thank you so much for it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anytime. And, and for this audience, you know, you can always find this podcast at Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can go to bonsai.film. So www.bonsai.film to uh, also see back episodes and show notes and blog posts and everything we're doing over at Bonsai Creative and the Make It Podcast. Do go find Julia's uh, information as well at juliarosengren.com. And until next time, uh, be kind to each other, take care of each other, take care of yourself as well, and uh, follow uh, Julia's path for inspiration and philanthropy in the world. Yes, love each other. Don't forget, love each other. <laughs> That's right. Julia, talk soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, be good. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hey, gang, one more thing before you go. I want to talk to you about Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It just takes a few seconds, and once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter. It's that simple. Go to 
www.banzai.film to get indie insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails, just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, we hope not, but if you do, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So, one more time, go to www.banzai.film to get Indie Insights for free. And thank you for listening.